3: counter-alto voice you're hearing right now is Matt Tebby. I'm joined by Ben Strinke and Christy Penley. Good day to you.
1: Good day. Hey. Did you say counter-alto?
3: Yeah. You know, I used to get, real talk here, Ben. I used to uh-huh. get mistaken. People have a hard time <laughs> discern... Christy knows this story. Uh-huh. I do know this story. People have a hard time discerning my gender if they uh-huh. can't see me. Yeah. So when I used to get, like, cold calls from, you know, the New York Fire Department asking for money, or let's yeah. say I'm in the drive through line at an Arby's, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> shame-eating a roast beef sandwich, uh-huh. uh, 50-50 chance I get called ma'am. Interesting. Usually. I've been with yeah. you when this has happened. So nobody yeah. believes me that it happens. Now, my voice has lowered over the years, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. I've been taking supplements, and... <laughs> <laughs> They're just multivitamins. They may have nothing to do with how my voice is lowered, yeah. but I—I I, I it doesn't happen as much as it used to. As a younger uh-huh. man, I really had a, really had a chipper, high pitched, uh, you know, nasally, uh, wine, kind of this, you know, whine. Uh-huh. It's like a okay. whining, nasally, grinding tone. It's really, it's oh, really, really, you're really a, talking it up. I have a voice made for podcasting is what I'm saying. Uh, um, all right. yeah, yeah. So anywho, uh, well, very, I don't know what, how good. we got started on that, but, uh, I just yeah, asked you counter alto about, that, counter you know, alto. my voice. So I used to sing professionally. People used mm-hmm. to pay to listen to me sing. Mm-hmm. They all asked for refunds, but there was a no <laughs> refund. <also>. <laughs> <laughs> and, I um, I, my voice is pitched really, really high and it, it was almost, almost, I didn't know how to use my voice until I was almost done performing. And then I realized, oh man, I could have been singing like this the whole time. Mm. And then I was like, forget it. I'm going to be a pastor. So that's that story. <laughs> yeah. Using your voice in a different way now. So uh, yeah, now, now there's a and different a, voice.
1: Pod, You podcast now as well. Mm-hmm. So that's. Yeah, I'm really coming Using along. Your voice all over the place. Yeah,
3: this is incredible. <laughs> all those,
1: pe- all those people who ask for refunds, man, they feel fo- they feel foolish now, don't they?
3: So, yeah. Uh, yeah, suckers. Yeah. <laughs> um, anywho, yeah. we uh, yeah. we're gonna get into this podcast today. We talked to uh, Willie Francois uh, mm-hmm. about his book White Noise, which uh, good. set off a tsunami of kairoses for Christie and, and yes, for, it did right and yeah. for all yes. of us
1: yeah we talk about it after the podcast is yep. over. Yeah, um, so stay tuned for the after reflection.
3: yeah, but we're approaching the end of twenty twenty two beloved, mm-hmm. and it's crazy. It seems in my mind like it's still twenty twenty or something. I don't know I don't know what's happening, but um, it's like the longest year that just never ends, and that and it's no. gonna be twenty twenty three before we know it. But we're starting a campaign uh, mm-hmm. a, a an opportunity for you to partner with gravity. In a new way, Ben. Would you tell us more about that? In particular, me, because I haven't. I don't really know what I'm talking about. Just
1: yeah, yeah. Let let you know what we're talking about here. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, gravity has been going for. um, Not everybody knows this, but we've been we started in 2015, kind of informally, um, Mm -hmm. and we really have been focused on trying to help Christians learn how to take love seriously as the center of our life and our mission as the people of God. And since then, we've been coaching. We've been we started a podcast. Uh, we've been training leaders in um, essentially a spiritual transformation framework mm-hmm. um, that we've been trying to make both practical and reproducible. And we hear stories about you know emotional and spiritual health in lives of participants um, uh, pretty much every week, and uh, it's really encouraging. And it's been um, really fun uh, to uh, be part of this ministry that is gravity uh, over these years but as you were pointing out Matt a lot has changed over the last few years um, the global pandemic has kind of wreaked havoc on our ability to gather together etc there's communities and churches that are fracturing under um, the influence of Christian nationalism and um, kind of an unwillingness to face the legacy and the lingering effects of racism and colonialism and patriarchy and all of these kinds of things all the isms um, and just what's that all the isms all the isms they're 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 coming <laughs> online for us. Um, and then, you know, we've we've talked on this podcast before about deconstruction, so to speak. Um, and so there's a lot of people who, because of all these things and multiple other reasons, are feeling um, questioning their faith and needing to deconstruct the faith they inherited and, and need some care. And so anyway, all of this stuff has kind of added up to life as usual um, in the world of church and Christianity is, um, man, it's it's been extremely disruptive. Um, and we've, We've talked with other ministries and other um, pastors and other uh, people who work in this space who say the same thing. It's just been extremely um, uh, disruptive. It's been um, uh, a crazy few years, and it's been hard to kind of know where it's all going. Um, And because of this, um, we are feeling, I mean, just to be honest about this, we're feeling the need to shift a bit of um, gravity's, the way that gravity sustains itself um, we hear from people every week who want the training that we have, but they can't afford it. Uh, we hear it from you know church planners, from pastors of small churches, and just from like Christians who are lonely and and struggling to hold on to faith um, and people who minister among marginalized communities. So we've realized, I think that we need to shift how we sustain our ministry. Um, I don't think we can expect anymore that everybody who needs what we do, We'll be able to afford it um, in ways that allow us to keep functioning as a ministry. So we're seeking to raise up some ministry partners who can help, help to sustain the work of Gravity and to allow more people access to our training. So that's what we're seeking to do. Um, is to and Our explicit goal here is to raise uh, actually $50,000 to invest in our work for 2023. Um, which, which is
2: totally doable. Mm-hmm. Totally doable.
1: Totally yes. doable. I love your optimism, Christy. Can that's I give great. A, Can I give a Say, suggestion of what we? Yeah, do? that would be great. Go for it.
2: Okay, so Christmas is coming, and I'm yeah, sure everybody true. has these people that they don't know what to buy mm. for. Like I don't know what to buy for my neighbors or like I, you know people that you buy a gift for. Anyway, um, <laughs> we started doing this a couple of years ago for our children, but also for people that we give Christmas gifts to
4: mm. is that
2: we give a donation on their behalf to an NGO, a nonprofit, something like that. Yeah. Um, and then we give them an ornament that kind of represents that thing. So one year we did a donation to, um, compassion international and then all my kids and neighbors got like these little people ornaments and it was like, you know, meant to kind of like remind them. And I made a little tag that told them like, Hey, on your behalf, there was like a $10 <laughs> gift or something that went yeah. to the compassion. Um, but we, you know, so figure out an ornament that goes with Gravity Leadership. What would that be? I don't <laughs> Christy, know. Christy, you'd uh, be the one EarPods to know. <laughs> or headphones or something. I bet you can find it. Mm-hmm. Pink ones. I'm just kidding. Pink headphones. Um, or buy the book. Like buy, you buy your book and then in the inside write, like, hey, on your behalf, I gave a $10 donation to Gravity. Mm-hmm. And, and then they would, you know, figure out what is gravity and learn about it, but also read your book. And it's a win-win for everybody. Um, hmm. Plus, it's like a meaningful gift. And so, anyway, we do that. And we're doing that again this year. And I encourage our listeners to do that and, and use gravity as their, hmm. as their nonprofit. That's a
1: great idea, Christy. You, you are full of good ideas uh, with the gift-giving.
2: I love gift-giving. She is such yeah. a good
3: gift-giver. Which, by the
2: way... Mm-hmm. Do you remember last year I sent you a box yes mm-hmm. and we I, opened it online, and we are doing it again this we're doing year it guys yeah we're <laughs> going open wait.
1: we're going to open it live we're going to have a a special uh christmas episode um, yes. so yeah, get ready for that. Uh, Well, anyway, listeners, I do hope that you'll partner with us if you've benefited from this podcast, if you've benefited from maybe you've been in a coaching group um, and you're looking for a way to to partner with us and help sustain this ministry where this would allow us to offer scholarships uh, for people who want to get into our coaching, making it accessible to more people. Uh, We do want to write another book next year Mm -hmm. um, focused on um, our Grace and Truth Matrix, um, and uh, that would allow us uh, some time to do that. Um, and it also would allow us to create a bit more stability at gravity so we can kind of think creatively about the future and continue to do the work that we're doing. So every contribution helps. You can go to gravityleadership.com slash partner to find out all the details. And uh, I hope you'll I hope you'll partner with us. Yeah.
2: And if you find a pink headphone ornament, oh. somebody tell me. Somebody yeah. email me. Cause yeah. I, that I'm gonna have to look now.
1: Yeah, because that, that would be the perfect sort oh, be awesome. of awesome. Uh, Symbolic gravity leadership <laughs> gift, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. so good indeed. So all right, all right. Well, well let's thanks get into the willy. Yeah, thanks for that great idea, Christy. Yeah, all right, listeners, enjoy this interview. Matt, anything to say? Yeah, I, I uh, noticed
3: you take a breath there. I do that, I like, I don't know, right before you're gonna to talk, 22 times a minute. Yeah, but that was that was <laughs> like a I'm about to breaths. say something breath. <clears throat> I take breaths like a boss, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, uh, I, I do. so far. We'll see how the day goes. Uh, yeah, I just really appreciated Willie's uh, candor and uh, the way he challenged us. Um, you know, we talk a lot about white supremacy and racism, and I think that is because we want to learn alongside our listeners, and we want to we want to share. We want the learning to be generative. We want to sh- we want to invite people into our learning. And so Willie uh, blesses us here. It's a great he's a great gift to the church and to us. So we get to share him with Absolutely. you now. Willie Duane Francois III joins us today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. He's senior pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church and president of the Black Church Center for Justice and Equality. He serves also as assistant professor of liberation theology at New York Theological Seminary and directs a master's degree program at Sing Correctional Facility. He created the Public Love Organizing and Training Project and has served in various organizations engaging in racial issues, including the Atlantic City Chapter of Black Lives Matter, the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference, and the New Jersey Department of State's Martin Luther King Jr. Commission. He's an active speaker and has written for HuffPost, Sojourners, The Hill, The Christian Century, and Religion Dispatches. Today, he joins us to discuss some of the themes in his new book, Silencing White Noise, Six Practices to Overcome Our Inaction on Race. Willie, welcome mm-hmm. to the podcast.
4: Thank you so much, Matt, for having me. Uh,
3: as I read as I read your bio, even as I wrote it down to read it and then read it again, I thought, how do you have time to do a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> or sleep. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's a lot of stuff, Willie, that you're yeah, doing. What's a typical week look like for you?
4: <clears throat> well... I'm trying to navigate both, both church uh, and 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 the seminary uh, is is quite challenging. I don't I don't think that I have found a rhythm just yet on how to make that uh, as manageable as it could. On top of having a a, a two year old, uh, so I oh, think boy. that the toddler gets most of of my time and demands uh, most of my week.
3: Woo, yeah, man, you're in the valley of the shadow of the diapers. You know that's that's a real deal, man. A two year old. It takes a lot of time. Um, Well, I I told you off before we sort of hit record uh, that this book's incredible. Uh, There are a lot of books uh, about anti-racism, a lot of Christian books on racial justice. And Willie, your book uh, is really profound, prophetic in so many ways. I want to start by just maybe asking you, like, uh, who is this book written for and and why did you write it?
4: Sure. So one thing I say I often say that this book is written for uh, any Christian uh any person of faith really but 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 any Christian uh more particularly uh who is interested in and in leaning into uh, anti-racism racial justice uh, as as a vocation as a, as an article of faith so you know that's the wider audience uh but you know I guess a more niche audience uh, would be you know moderate, to progressive uh, white Christians uh, who are looking for the language, looking for new language, who are looking for uh, something practical and, and although grounded, uh, theoretically, uh, that could that, that will allow them to, to lean into this work that I know is terribly hard uh, for, for any of us to, to engage. Uh, but when you start thinking about what does it mean to divest from privilege and, and, you, and you have to stare uh, in the spiritual and moral mirror and figure out how you are showing up uh, in the public square in the nation that is founded on racism. I know that is incredibly hard uh, for, for my white uh, sisters and, and, and brothers. Uh, so yeah, that, that's the more niche uh, audience that, that I think about those, 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 you know, who are center left, uh, but, Really, those in the center. I think the majority of us live uh, in the center, who are looking for some inspiration, uh, looking for some resources to to accelerate uh, the work that we do uh, as 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 disciples of Jesus. The work that we do uh, to, to to really make our our nation uh, be what it says it is on on, on paper. Uh, that that second question. I wrote this book as the country and maybe even the world was really set ablaze uh by the deaths of George Floyd, Brianna Taylor and Ahmad Arbery. Uh I yeah, I was living in that moment with my own covid fatigue uh and and I just really thought you know time is running out. I I don't know how much time we really have uh to get this right and then January 6 happened. Uh and and I understand yeah. January 6 to be uh, related to both race and religion in a lot of ways, it, race and religion live in the background of that of that mm-hmm. experience, and and that just made it all the more uh, all the more critical for for me to write for me to write this text. Uh, and then something more personal uh, happened. I had a two. I have a two year old now. I, I I gave you know I became a parent uh, in the middle of of the pandemic and literally in the hospital. Uh, I'm holding this black life, and I'm staring at this black life, and I could not help uh, but be overcome by the radical sense of vulnerability uh, that this young life has, and that this this life will always have as he carries black skin through a world that is, that is organized against people who look like him uh, in so many ways and for so long.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, what a Uh, what a colorful and complex backdrop inside of which to write this book. I mean, I think most of us um, have never lived through a more liminal loaded time than these, maybe maybe since uh, black lives matter started in 2014. It's just been an incredible cultural earthquake Um, in your introduction, uh, which by the way, a lot of introductions are filler or fluff. It's like you have to you have to write an introduction just to get the book, get people into the book. It's sort of a, you know, obligatory moose boosh. You know, before the main course. But this introduction, dude, uh, is incredible. And I oh, wow. it was like a buffet meal. And I could, I, I tried to read it quickly because I wanted to get into the six practices. Uh, but it's a testimony to your uh, your skill and also what you share there that I couldn't read it fast. So we could do an entire podcast about it. But let's just oh, wow. give the listener a sampling. Uh, you contend that we need what you call reparative or reparative intercession to overcome racism. Uh, would you introduce us to what you mean by reparative intercession? And and then maybe as a subsection of that, why are most calls for, quote, racial reconciliation insufficient to accomplish that?
4: Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, thanks for, for such a glowing review of the introduction. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 you know, I—, I I call us to reparative intercession because I'm I'm thinking about the ways that we show up in this world as racialized beings uh, is incredibly harmful. It's traumatic on both sides of of whiteness, right? On both sides of of white supremacy, there there's a lot of pain, a lot of trauma uh, that exists, and and that needs to be repaired. Uh, and so I, I I wanted to find language and develop a concept that honored the fact that we need to be in the in the practice in the work of repairing the harms that have been done for more than four centuries in this in in this country that 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 the justice that we need is a justice that that names uh, just how vicious and just how vitriolic racism has been to think about how it is baked into the very structures of our nation. Uh, It is not simply about what Tiki Torch carrying folk in Charlottesville, Virginia do. No, mm-hmm. the reality is, is that we now live in a world that is so well organized and so well oiled that you actually don't need white people for white supremacy to be real. Uh, it lives in our healthcare system. It lives in our in our in our criminal justice system. It lives in our policing apparatuses. Right. It, it, it is alive. Uh, and and it is work that we have to, on a daily basis, commit ourselves to repairing that, both structurally and and interpersonally. Mm. So so I, and I talk about uh, reparative intercession uh, as 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 a as a way of interceding, uh, as as a way of standing in the tragic gap uh, for 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 those who are less protected, those who are most vulnerable among us, and and you know, it comes from the idea of of intercessory prayer, which is pretty popular in in most Christian communities where we pray on behalf of someone else. Well, our intercession needs to be more than prayer. It needs to be political, it needs to be economic, it needs to be social. How do we begin to show up and act up and speak up on behalf of people who are less privileged than we are and who are less powerful uh, than we are? And and, and to, to your second question, That is why I wanted to start with repair, because so many of the calls come from this this well-intended place. Uh, You know, there are a lot of do-gooders who are white. Who are committed to, to notions of, of reconciliation. Uh, but reconciliation cannot happen until justice happens first, right? Uh, because the question that James Cohn raises is well, reconcile to what, right? Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we begin to repair relationships that have been harmed by centuries of violence, centuries of subjugation, centuries of domination, centuries of exclusion? That needs to be repaired. And we can't just jump into a kumbaya. Moment where we're allowed to feel good and we're allowed to pat ourselves on the back because we've achieved some level of cosmetic diversity. No, we actually have to slow this down and intentionally and painstakingly mm-hmm. do the work of staring at our history, overcoming our naivete, our our willful ignorance, uh, and and start to do the work of fixing what has what has happened. And reconciliation, unfortunately, the way we talk about it does not require much of us. To do this work, we have to lose some things in the name of the whole. We, we have to sacrifice, particularly those who are most privileged, particularly those who are, who are more powerful, that something needs to be sacrificed in order for humanity uh, to live up to, to, to these ideals, for this country particularly, to live up to our mm-hmm. version of ourselves.
1: And now, a word from a sponsor.
2: The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12 month cohort based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, We go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence, and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us towards holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people all over the world in this Formation Framework, and it has helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives, to learn, How to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation.
1: All right, let's get back into our conversation. Yeah, I I appreciate that way of talking about, um, you know, what sometimes is referred to as systemic racism, um, which sometimes feels like it's really hard for people to understand, at least white people to understand you know, and i like I like how you said, like uh, we this is so baked into our systems that we don't actually need white people for white <laughs> supremacy to exist like that that's a great way of talking about kind of where this stuff lives. Uh, and then uh, I think the the necessity of what uh, you're talking about, like our our intercessory prayer becoming embodied in our political and social practices. Um, you name six rhythms in this book, maybe this is a good segue into these practices because you know this is. Uh, this is how we do this, you know, reparative intercession, right? Um, And real quick, I'll name these six practices. You you talk about embracing difference as a gift. You talk about confronting the histories of whiteness. You talk about honoring our interdependence, exploring our fuller selves, sacrificing our power and privilege, and naming our complicity in racism. Um, how, How did these six practices emerge and take form for you?
4: Yeah, a great question, uh, Ben. I, I've been doing anti-racist education for, for some time now. And I, as I was preparing to, to write this book, I was thinking about, well, what have I really distilled over the years of things that get in the way? What, what, are, some of the, what are some of the statements that really reflect uh, a, a way of thinking and a way of being in the world that, that limit how we're able to show up on behalf of of the other and you know i started thinking about the ways that we tell ourselves you know as as if it is as if it is some badge of honor we say things like oh i don't see color uh without honoring the fact that you know actually difference is good and Difference is really divine. In the book, I talk about embracing the divinity of difference because each of us represent the diversities of the image of of God. And so what are we saying about God when we we do not allow ones to show up in their particularities, in their uniqueness? Uh, And also, what does that say about how we misunderstand other people's experiences because to not to not see my blackness is also an invitation to not own the ways that my social trajectory my social life in many ways is determined uh, by by this skin Uh, so 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 i started thinking through through things like that and and i realized no that we we have to embrace color how do we help people embrace the power of color how do we how do how do we encourage people to be color conscious uh, I also, you know, encounter people who were not really interested in telling the truth about about this <laughs> country uh, that, you know, there's a kind of fiction that we lean into about America's greatness. And I, I'll be honest, yep. I don't know another country that I, that I would want to live in. Uh, but we have to be honest that America's economic greatness, America's political greatness uh, is not a substitute are not substitutes for where we're not morally good, right? I, I don't just want to live in a politically great nation. I also want to live in a morally good uh, nation. And that requires us to confront our history. Uh, I, I started thinking about the ways that there are, you know, I grew up in a small town in, in Texas uh, with poor white folk. Uh, and so I know uh, that that there are white people, a great majority of them, who don't, Feel privileged in any particular way, and and although they don't feel privileged, it doesn't mean they aren't right. Uh, they don't feel privileged in a particular in a in a particular way. And I remember how our lives were interconnected uh, in that in that small town. Uh, you know, we were all dealing with poverty in some ways. We, we were all dealing with with hopelessness uh, in some ways. I think the opioid crisis that that we Live through and are still living in right now is only a manifestation of the kind of of economic hopelessness uh, that 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 is real. Uh, You know, the the, the folk, many of the folk who stormed the Capitol uh, on January sixth live with a very felt sense of disempowerment and disinheritance because the promise of whiteness has not been shared by so many of them. Like thinking through these things uh, allowed me to 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 start. Well, how do I distill this? Uh, in 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 language and in 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 images and imagery uh, that I think would be compelling. So helpful, mm-hmm.
2: so good, Willie. In your book, you have at the at the top of each chapter, the, these white noise is what you call it. It was powerful to me uh, when I, <laughs> Christy, you I was actually that with book. Matt, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my goodness, this book is for me," because I I'm trying to like. Learn and be educated. I need my friends of color to keep teaching me and just reading those statements. I was like, I have a lot to learn. I have a lot of growing to do. But I'm curious if you can kind of help our listeners. Um, how does how do those white noise statements correspond with these six practices and undermine our anti-racist efforts in in these areas? Yeah.
4: The, the, I talk about white noise as the speech, the practices, the misrepresentations that that allow white supremacy to to continue i think it's always important i I said a moment ago that that white supremacy no longer needs white people and i really i really mean that because white supremacy is actually not about white people Uh, it it is it is it is it is it is about ideology it is not about identity it's not about ancestry it's about a way of thinking and moving in the world and black people can can also have anti-black sentiment. Uh, that 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 how that that perpetuates uh, danger and harm for, for other black people. So so I want to be clear that these are statements that you find that these white no- these these uh, manifestations examples of white noise can embody can can inhabit anybody. It can come out yeah. of of any mouth, although we do know that it is it is more prone to come out of the the, the mouths of of, of of white of white people. Uh, and these statements are really innocent, aren't they? Like like these are yeah. things that you say that that you know can be incredibly harmful to a non-white person. And uh, they can be racist in a lot of ways, and you don't realize it. And part of what mm-hmm. I was trying to do, Christy, uh, was I was trying to show that the major that so much of the racism that we practice may, you know, Tommy Shelby talks about it this way. Uh, who, who's a great uh, uh, philosopher and, and and thinker on race is that you know a lot of the racism that we think about is or that we practice is kind of morally neutral, uh, and and I think it's important to say that. And and I know that sounds weird to say because. When you call, when you say something is racist, somebody automatically hears that you are demeaning their character, that you're saying something about their identity, and that's not always the case. I talk about uh, uh, Judge Amy Comey, uh, Amy Coney Barrett in there, who whose decisions and rulings ha- and have and opinions on the court prior to the Supreme Court have been racist. And, and you can name that some of the rulings that she has, that she's made have been racist, and she loves Black people. Particularly, she loves her Black children. Because when I'm talking about racism, I'm not talking about hate of Black people or disregard of Black people. I, I'm, in many cases, I'm talking about the things that allow certain communities to voice and name levels of superiority or inaction uh, that, that, that are not about hate that are not about degradation, but it's, it's, it is, it is a willful ignorance. It could be a, an averting of the eye. It could be, you know, an inability to engage in a more robust way. So what I'm trying, I try to unload racism of all of its, all of its morally negative uh, connotations and, and dimensions because we'll never one of, one of the practices that I talk about, uh, one of the practices that I name uh, is is um, downbeat truth, right? It's the last one I name. Downbeat truth, harvesting uh, the power of telling on yourself. How do you how do you harvest the uncomfort, the discomfort of telling on yourself? Well, it's really hard to practice that if if you're afraid to say to yourself, "I've done some racist things," right? And and so I wanted to create a space where people could say, "You know what?" That is racist. I don't want to be that. that. You know, being racist doesn't mean that I'm hateful of black people. It just means I'm not as helpful. I'm not as I'm not as constructive uh, in the in the work. So those white noise, those white noise statements that that lead each chapter are opportunities for us to to access our own. Bigotry to access our own unawareness, to access our own racism uh, in a lot of ways, and then to do the work of well, how do I how do I exercise these thoughts uh, from my vocabulary, from my thinking, from my heart?
0: Mm. Yeah.
4: Yes,
2: it, it's powerful. You, it it worked in me in the sense of <laughs> mm. it's in my bones, Willie. Mm. It's in my bones, yeah. mm. and I don't want it there. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes. It takes effort and and friends like you to continue to open up my eyes and and to create an environment, even on this on a screen. I know it sounds silly, but like for me to name that and to say mm-hmm. I'm a racist, it it's in there and yeah. and I want that weeded out. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. You know,
4: mm. and thank you for for that, Christy. And it's it's the same thing I have to do uh, as a, as a man. Uh, I one of the other practices. Uh, is is this idea of the the syncopated self, right? Syncopated identity. Uh, how do I, you know, I was using, I was trying to use as many rhythm metaphors as possible since these are rhythms of reparative intercession. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when I do an intersectional look at myself and I see where I am oppressed, but I also see where I'm privileged. Uh, and oppression, <laughs> oppression and privilege live in the same body uh, yes. all the time. And and like you were able to say, Christy, how you know? Yes, you're racist. As as great as I want to be in the world, I have to also name the ways that I am classes. I have to also name the ways that I am sexist. I have to also name the ways that I am heterosexist. Uh, and 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 to name that actually, uh, it frees me to start to start to to do that work. But I also yes. want to. Also, want to name as what well. their ways, and and uh, you know Matt in that in that introduction that you that you that you uh, spoke so glowingly about. <laughs> I talk about I talk about my own anti black sentiment, like as a seventeen year old mm. preacher talking about black on black crime as if interracial violence is unique to black people, right? Not realizing that when we talk about black on black crime, that's a way that we pathologize uh, black folk without without naming the fact that you know. The same percentage of white people who die or die at the hands of white people, the same percentage yep. of El Salvador, El Salvadorian people who die, die at the hands of other El Salvadorian Americans. Right. But we use black on black crime as a moniker distinct for black folk. And that was something I was spewing from the pulpit because of what I because of how I had been shaped. Because of how I have been formed uh, by 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 white noise, uh, I, I you know when I when I talk about uh, I, in there I, I, uh, in chapter one, I talk about what does it mean to move from from white guilt to white grief, uh, and 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 really I, I I start to 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 talk about this as racial grief, not just white grief, but but racial grief, uh, be, because if I'm honest, there have been times. That, that I need to grieve the ways that anti-black sentiment, anti-brown sentiment, anti-immigrant sentiment has, has bubbled up in me. I tell the story uh, in, as I'm talking about what does it mean to heal? You know, I use grief because... Whiteness is, and, and when I say whiteness, again, I'm talking about as an ideology, as a, as a grammar, uh, as, as a way of knowing in the world, uh, not an ancestry, not a skin color. But when I think about what it means to allow whiteness to die to us so we don't die from it, I'm, I'm, mm. I, I tell a story about one of, my, one of my first racialized moments where I'm in, I'm in middle school. And I an elementary school, actually. I'm in elementary school. And I call someone a Mexican who is not Mexican at all. And I and I say, oh, well, what's the difference? Right? Uh, Although I was a child, that going unchecked only metastasizes. It only grows uh, within us. So it's important for all of us to do that work of, of naming that we are races that we have been shaped by whiteness regardless of the color of our Mm -hmm. skin and that we have an obligation to exercise that from within we'll be right
0: back get ahead of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com it's like your own personal post office sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts That's stamps.com code program Let's get back to the show. To review,
3: because uh, this has been uh, a tsunami of uh, conviction for me. Yeah. Um, whiteness isn't about skin color. It's about a common sense, a logic, a way of being in the world that has done us all dirty, right? So all of us have internalized whiteness, uh, and, mm-hmm. it, and it doesn't do good work for any of us because it was invented to oppress people. It even oppresses the people who invented it, um, right? Uh, number two, what I hear you saying, Willie, is that a lot of a lot of racism is perpetuated by things that seem innocuous or morally neutral. So most of most of the ways that whiteness is carried is by good ideas, right? I want to fix this racial problem. I know I'll be colorblind. Mm-hmm. Let's not, let's just, you know, and and that's the way we, we overcome this thing, right? But it, it actually is a way to, to give it cover. I think this is really important because a lot of times when we talk about racism, we have this fixation on like uh, personal, it has to be a personally Volitionally chosen hatred or bias that that I'm conscious of, in order for me to be culpable of it, right? And and so what your book does yeah. is it says no no this uh, whiteness is way more elegant than that. It functions because mm. it would just offend us if it was if it was Nazi if it was only Nazi emblems yeah. and hoods. But mm-hmm. if if it can function at the level of uh, propriety and social mores, and common sense, uh, and normativity, then 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 it can run, then the virus runs in the program unnoticed.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That that that's exactly it. Uh, you know, whiteness or, or this white supremacy is is so intelligent. Uh, yep. it, is, it is so adaptable. Uh, that it works beneath the consciousness. We don't know that it's working yeah, on us, right? That's it, that's uh, and it. and that is why we have to slow down enough, and 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 stare at ourselves in ways that 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 allow us to undress uh, all of the the regalia that tells us what lives matter and and what lives mm-hmm. don't matter. Uh, to to be honest about how racism intersects. With all the other isms, none, none of these work in isolation of, of of one another, and that's a point I attempt to make uh, in in the book as as well. But but yeah, it's we we are we, swimming in it, uh, yeah. you know. You, you know, we are we are as committed to whiteness naturally as as fish are committed to water. Uh, yes. you actually don't know. You know, fish don't know that they're in water until they're out of it. <laughs> and, 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 and we depend on this privilege. We depend on the power. We depend yeah. on the structures for things uh, to, to, to make sense.
3: Yeah. Yeah, in the conclusion, Willie, you mentioned three black men that have had a profound impact on me, Eddie Glaude Jr., James Baldwin, Cornell Cornel West. Um, can you talk a bit about their impact on you? And, and their impact on this book?
4: Well, p- particularly uh, James Baldwin. Um, James Baldwin is who I, I, I say taught me how to write. Uh, I think he's the greatest American writer, uh, not because he's an American who writes, uh, but because of the way he writes about America. Uh, he yes. is able to write about uh, the fragility of our nation, uh, the, the the hypocrisy and the mythic innocence that we live with in, in ways that are just so compelling and so clear and so poetic. And I have attempted or and I hope to continue to attempt to, to write in that vein to to live in, to live and see uh, and write and lead in such a way that is honest, uh, and and a way that is grounded in in love. That, that, that's what Baldwin uh, offers to me—a a lens of love that 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 disallows me to 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 accept uh, how things are, to 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 continue to go along just to get along, uh, but to to really figure out what does it mean to tap into the fullness of my humanity. And Baldwin introduced me to a Jesus. Uh, that I didn't meet in church, you know. Baldwin himself is is agnostic at best, uh, but but you know I think Baldwin takes Jesus so seriously that he can't stay in the church, right? Yes. So so, so Baldwin helps me to 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 find a Jesus, right? He ha- that 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 doesn't have to be divine only, right? To to find a Jesus that that doesn't take away all of our responsibility for repairing the world uh that 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 we live in and I owe that debt to James Baldwin through writing, a man that obviously yeah. I never met. Uh, yeah. You know, he, he was, you know, he, he he died uh you know pretty early on in my life. Uh, hmm. but but his 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 life still lives because of the way that that he opened my eyes to how Christianity could be better uh and and how America can be better.
1: Yeah. Maybe, uh, one last question before we wrap up here, I think one of the, one of the things that I've noticed, um, you know, George Floyd and Brianna Taylor and uh, some of those events that you mentioned earlier also were sort of like, I don't know, they were flashpoints for me, I think for Matt as well, just to say like, wait, like we really have to reckon with this. Um, and in the process of reckoning, trying to reckon with, you know, how racism lives in us, you know, in our communities, how it lives in our systems, all of that kind of thing. Um, I got, I got super tired, super quick, (laughs) like, like just super kind of like tired of it all. And so I think, and I think that names one of the deficiencies of, of white Christianity is that we just have, have completely lacked. We're very fragile. We've lacked the formation to resiliently resist evil. Um, And so we, you know, we, we we tried a couple times and then it just gets hard and so um, I think our you know the cultural supremacy makes us brittle, rigid, makes us peevish in our public witness. So maybe you can just speak to us about hope um, and the need to cultivate uh, you know a, a more robust resilience as we endeavor to become Christian anti-racists.
4: Yeah, no, th- thanks for that, Ben. I. You know, it, it's it's exhausting work, uh, and mm-hmm. you can you can only imagine how exhausting it is to to be a non-white person who yep. lives on the underside, and sometimes mm-hmm. on the brutal side of of of, of the non-work uh, that that is that is happening uh, on in in our worlds, and in, in our jobs, in our courtrooms, uh, in in our hospital rooms. Uh, it it is incredibly uh, ex- ex- exhausting, uh, and you know I, I say in the in the, in that int- in the conclusion, that's why we have to invent hope every day. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. every day has to be a new laboratory for invention, uh, inventing hope. Every day we have to find new inspiration. To continue to do this this work. Uh, that, that's why I close that chapter with a prayer, because it really takes spiritual discipline to be committed to, to this work. And you never age out of it, but I like to believe that it it becomes a part of our nature. It, it can become a part of mm-hmm. our nature to to be anti-racist, the more we we practice it, and so I think every day we have to find things that work for us that inspire us to continue to to do this work. Uh, and sometimes that inspiration comes from confronting, uh, as exhausting as it is, to confronting and familiarizing ourselves I, this 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 sense of cross-racial contact that I talk about in in chapter one is the mm-hmm. more contact we have. Uh, with, with diverse communities, with diverse populations, the more we, we allow the doors of our of our hearts to swing open in the direction of, of other people. and we have to find those things that inspire us. There's no cookie cutter, way to do it. Uh, there, there's no one size fits all that allows us to get there. But every day we have to tell ourselves what will give me hope for this work and how can I lean in to it? Is there something I need to read today? Is there something I need to watch today? Uh, is there something I need to talk about in my, in my, in my contemplative time, uh, today? Uh, is, is, is there someone I need to talk to today, uh, that, that can reignite that hope for me, that, that, can become a part of that day's experimentation uh with hope and with these practices
3: mm-hmm. <clears throat> so cool thank yeah, you yeah I receive that Hope is hard work, yeah yeah but it's it but hope is hard work, but it's worth it uh willie um just one final comment i i uh th- this this phrase white noise, what it makes me think of is the the noise makers we put on when our kids go to sleep, mm-hmm. and it creates this white noise right this uh this like this shh. and it's supposed to uh, drown out other sounds that would wake our kids up during the night. Sure. Right? And I think that your book then is like um, identifying the things that keep us asleep Yeah. And, and turning those things off so we can wake up and hear. And I just want to thank you again for this book, for your work. And much like James Baldwin could plumb the depths of the human condition personally and also talk about it at 20,000 feet at the same time. So too, Willie, I think, and as I read this book, you were channeling the best of that uh, Baldwin-esque voice of deep heart, like personal, intimate, I know know who Willie is as I read, but then also talking about things from a macro level at the same time. And it's just a gift, and I appreciate so much the work you put into this.
4: Thank you so much, Matt, Ben, and Christy, uh, for, for having me today, for, for, for supporting the book, reading the book, uh, and I, I hope that that your, your audience, your, your, your peoples, uh, will will be blessed by this talk, uh, but also by the book.
3: Yeah. Willie, Amen. if people wanted to read more that what you've written or connect with you, are you available anywhere online? Go ahead and plug your pluggables.
4: Yeah, so uh, you can you can uh, on my socials are uh, at Willie Francois 3 on Twitter and and Instagram, uh, Willie Dwayne Francois the Third on, on 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 Facebook. Uh, also, you know our, our church's website is uh, Mount Zion spelled out M O U N T Zion org, and yep those are places where you can find me and if you're interested in in doing some justice work uh, the the, the work that we do at the Black Church Center uh, theblackchurch.net is another way to to remain plugged in
3: awesome the book again is Silencing White Noise Six Practices to Overcome Our Inaction on Race Uh, thanks again Willie for joining us
4: thanks so much y'all
2: I could talk to him for hours.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: th- that that interview or his book, his impact on me is a, was a little different than other people that we've I had on. That. I know that. It's powerful, and yeah. I'm. I guess maybe I'm even trying to reflect on what was it about mm. that interview or that book that kind of hit me, and I, I honestly think that part of it is. Learning to have the freedom to name what is true about me hmm. and and the truth and, and being having acceptance in that. Hmm. Um, so when he kind of said in that interview, you know, it's good to name that I'm a racist, that there are parts um, that I just need to name that and, mm-hmm. and say that and kind of confess that. and hmm. And then he did that back. There's there's something powerful to me in that because I think yeah. I live in a world where we pretend and we yeah. wear masks and so anyway um I think yeah. I'm still chewing on that and it's still hitting me. What mm. about you guys?
1: Yeah, I I was I was struck by how it struck you, Christy. Mostly I was like, "Oh, this is really uh this is really fascinating." But I I just want to like I think there's something really powerful about you know what you said there, and I think his, um, I think one of the things I noticed was the way that he very intentionally destigmatized, yes, like racism, and mm-hmm. and made it not like this, like oh my gosh, you are like personally a terrible terrible human being, yes, be- you know what I mean because of that, like that sort of thing. He sort of destigmatizes it and allows us to not think that it's no big deal. But to realize how pervasive it is and how much it's not just located inside my own personal heart, yes. my own feelings about people of color or whatever, but but we're we're all caught up in this system. And so we all have to learn how to tell the truth about it. And that's like, yes. that's just part of confessing. I, you know, I see this in the, to put it in theological or scriptural terms, like this is confessing our sins. This is what it means to confess our sins to one another so that we might be healed, you know, as um, as the book of James says. Um yeah. so I think that's a big part of it. Um no,
2: thank you. You're naming something that I don't think I could articulate, but yes, that's exactly what it was. Mm. Um and the freedom to confess sin to each other and yeah and be loved in that. Right. Is, is transformational.
1: Yeah. So that's like basic, isn't it? Yeah. Confess yeah. your sins.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. Matt, are you
3: Yeah. Yeah. I'm,
0: I
2: can tell you're thinking. You're looking yeah, up yeah, yeah. to the
3: left.
1: Listener you, yeah, you're, listener, you can't see Matt, but he's looking straight up at the corner of his room. Yeah. We can tell he's thinking. Or yeah. there's a spider up there. There's a really big spider.
3: <laughs> no, this is like moonshine EMDR I'm doing right now, you know? <laughs> by making my own processing uh-huh. trauma, just by <laughs> right, moving I, my like, eyes up and down. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, I have
1: two dots in each corner of the room. Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, you, you know, a uh, couple things about Willie. One is, uh, I wasn't kidding, like his book his book names what i've been trying to do mm. and and actually blesses what i've been trying to do and gives me permission to do what i've been doing and also helps me understand why nobody likes it or very few people like it <laughs> um this is like really personal for me like hmm. um so that's that's one of the things i'm noticing in terms of i, I don't know but probably probably around 2019, I just shifted my public voice on when it comes to racism and whiteness, going from sort of a circumspect, um, overly spiritualized um, kind of uh, abstraction when talking about race to a very pointed, direct, concrete, um, like like confrontational way of talking about race. And when I did that, I realized I was transgressing something. I was breaking a rule I I could feel it inside of me and I could I could see it in other people's reactions. Mm. And Willie names names that rule and he names why um he names why doing what I've tried to do is important. Mm. Um so here don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't I still don't know what I'm doing. I mean meaning I'm I'm making mistakes when I do it, but um it's the kind of mistake I want to make rather than than the mistake of silence or complicity yeah. or um you know pretending like dressing up, dressing up problems as um, something they're not Mm. and and putting religious language on it. Yeah. So I was thinking about that. And I was also thinking about um, one of the ways whiteness works is that it makes uh, white supremacy so bad Mm. that you can, you can never actually deal with it. Um, so yeah. for instance, <clears throat> the worst thing you can do to a white Christian mm-hmm. is name that they're racist. Right. Just try to do that with a white person and see what happens. Yeah. It, all hell breaks loose. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, so we like to keep our total depravity nice and abstract and general. Don't get specific on the way that sin touches my life, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, Willie actually, uh, I think, helped me see a a way of being in his book and in in his person, being direct, Mm -hmm. uh, being um, like not running away from conflict, but also doing it in a way that was winsome and prophetic, Yes. Which is the really difficult task of yes. calibrating grace and truth when you're naming something that is a principality in power. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's really true.
2: And it and it, I experienced that actually. Yeah. For me to 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 tell him the, the how I'm noticing racism mm. and for him and for me to also feel like I want to be your friend. Like yeah. you are welcoming me in a way that I have not experienced before. And mm. Uh, that's unique.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah that's, that's really interesting to think about like painting white supremacy as like the, the worst overt example, like white hoods, right? Mm-hmm. And, and swastikas. Mm-hmm. Like to paint white supremacy in that way actually is a tactic of whiteness, yep. you know, to, to make it like it's not normal. It's not just like the water we swim in. It's not just something that oh yeah we all got to repent of that. Mm-hmm. It's it's this awful thing which, because it's so stigmatized, like we can't we can't talk about it because it's just it 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 is just so shameful. It's like calling someone the spawn of Satan. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's just it's just awful because of yeah the, the, all the freight that we've loaded up with it. And so I, I really appreciated his work of both, like, as you said, Matt, like really directly naming things, but also like normalizing it and making it into something that's not to be like feared. Like we can talk about this. It's all, we're we're all affected by it, you know? And so, and we have to talk about it and we have to destigmatize it in in that way, not to make it normal or good, Uh, not not normal in a good way, but like it's normal in a bad way to basically just say like, (laughs) like you said, like, what does total depravity look like? Well, it looks like Living in a white supremacist society. And uh, we have to learn how to navigate that. So hmm. well, let's the,
2: have him back. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Have him back? Yeah. Fourth,
1: fourth uh, co host on the podcast every week.
3: Oh, man. That'd be so good. <laughs> I <laughs> just,
2: I want to like go write another he, book, man. Keep doing it.
1: He, uh, if I didn't know that he was a pastor, I could tell that he was a preacher too, by the way. Oh, right. He, like, he, he goes into preacher cadence and yes. it's, qu- it's quite good. So. Yeah. yeah,
2: I'm a little jealous of it, actually.
3: <laughs> hey, can I change the uh, subject here real quick? I, I have a parenting uh, question for you. Oh, yeah. What, yeah. What What would you say to your kids if they asked you if trees poop or not? Is this a joke? <laughs> <laughs> this may or that may not have happened to me over the weekend. Yeah. What, Do trees what, poop, Dad. Did, Dad. What did you say? <laughs> well, I... I said, "Where do you think number two pencils come from?" <laughs>
2: Matt, Debbie, what? <laughs> Unbelievable!
3: <laughs> and number and, two, and my yeah. child, my child thanked me and wrote me a card yeah. and sat on a my pen lap the entire <laughs> with afternoon
1: a, with a pen because <laughs> we're like, yes. "I'm not touching <laughs> one of those things again." <laughs>
2: Oh, folks, there you have number it.
1: Two, number, number
2: two. Number two Number two pencils. <laughs> Enjoy that on your day.
3: Yep. All the 13-year-olds who listen mm-hmm. to this podcast, you oh, know they're, what's up.
1: They're, they're into it. They're, they're into, it. into this. Mm-hmm.
2: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it.
3: Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.
1: You can join our Gravity community for free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join.
2: Our show is produced by Ben Sturkey and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sturkey edits and mixes the podcast. You can check out his work at aaronsturkey.com.
3: We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.